Hallelujah. Amen. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be back together. Students, we welcome you from different universities, colleges. We're so glad to have you with us for this fall season again. You know, as wonderful as it is to worship the Lord in the sanctuary, coming together like this, I, I just long for the day that, that the name of Jesus is exalted in the streets of Moncton, that it's not going to be uncommon to walk into stores, to walk down the street, and just to hear people talk about Jesus and sing His praise, what the Lord is doing in our city, doing in our province, and we're believing for that day. Next week, we're starting a new series uh, called Truth. Uh, knowing the knowing that makes you free. Truth, the knowing that makes you free. But I really felt this morning, <clears throat> in light of uh, things that, we are, uh, that are ahead of us and some things that we maybe have come through over the last year or so, uh, to speak on a different topic that really I hope is a challenge to you as an individual. Uh, if you don't know Christ, uh, certainly if you do know Christ, and for us corporately as a congregation, um, there's been a lot of stuff going on, of course, with the election coming up. Uh, just next week, a lot of opinions on that, a lot of arguments, a lot of Facebook posts, uh, but also just with so many issues, social issues and reasons and causes and all the, you know, the division, all the things that are going on today. Uh, I just feel it's so important for us as a body to just to kind of refocus, uh, to remind ourselves really what it's all about, uh, to understand what God is doing, what God is calling us to, and to begin to believe once again for what the Lord has for us. We had uh, Bill Prankert with us here Thursday night, Friday, and I just said to some friends Thursday night, I said, Bill, just preach my message pretty much. Uh, and I just believe that the message that, that Bill has is taken across Canada. Uh, resonates very much with what's been on my heart and that I want to share with you this morning. I hope it's an encouraging, encouragement to us, but I hope it's also really a clarion call. That it's not just something we leave and one way or the other either feel, well, I got nothing out of that or maybe I did, but that we really have an awakening in our hearts this morning and that we really go away from this place. Um, just a call to fresh to some things the Lord wants to do in our lives and in our midst that really have to do with what He's doing and not just with what we're doing. Uh, the story I want to refer to this morning, we all probably know it very well, is the story of David and Goliath. If you haven't uh, heard of it before or read the story, you've probably heard that, that metaphor being used, you know, the big guy against the little guy, David, the little guy against the big guy, David against Goliath. Uh, that's kind of where that came from. I'm just going to read the first 11 verses of uh, 1 Samuel 17, but if you have your Bibles open or your app, you can stay there. We're going to go through a little bit this morning, but I just want to read the first 11 verses to give us some context for what I want to share this morning. <clears throat> we read in verse 1, uh, the Philistines, who by the way were just the sworn enemies of Israel in that day, they mustered their army for battle and camped between Socho in Judah and those other two places that I didn't pronounce in the first service either, so don't feel bad. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the Valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. That's just kind of that, that metal links uh, that they, they would wear in the front to protect themselves. He also wore bronze leg armor, and, the, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. <clears throat> the shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that itself weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. 
Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. I believe with all my heart that we are living in a day today that is very much the same as this day that we read of in the history of the nation of Israel. We, like the people of Israel, have been called to communicate, to reveal our God, the living God, to the culture in which we live. You see, Israel had a history with God. Israel, unlike any other nation on the face of the earth, they knew what it was to understand God's ways, to live in God's ways, and to experience the freedom that he brings, how God makes life work best when we actually trust in and follow the one who made us. And so they enjoyed those benefits as a nation and as individuals. You see, in that day as well, the miraculous actually belonged to Israel. It did not belong to the Philistines. No other nations had the living God in their midst who performed many, many miracles throughout their history. But you see, the problem Israel was facing is they had forgotten the reason that God had made them a nation in the first place. They had forgotten God's purpose in raising them up and making them a great nation was so that they could actually be a witness of God's love and of God's freedom, of God's redemption to the nations around who did not know him. But now we come to this day, the scripture says, that Israel is now faced with the threat of being ruled by wickedness. And the problem is they have lost any will to fight. So in this scenario, if you can imagine two hillsides, two mountain ranges, where you have the Israelites on one side, the Philistines on the other, and you have a valley in between. Out from among the ranks of the Philistine army comes this giant nine feet tall or more named Goliath. And he stands there in the valley and he defines the Israelites to find a man to face him. And he essentially saying this, listen, Israel, I am going to fight whoever you send, and I am going to kill him. And once I do that, we will have finally rid our world of your control and the influence of your God. And you will serve us because we will be in control. Now, how did God's people ever find themselves in that place? Well, 1 Chronicles 13 gives us a bit of context, and it says that when Saul first became king, it says this in verse 3, the ark of God was ignored while Saul was king. The ark of God was a little kind of two-by-four box, and it contained certain things from Israel's history. It had the cherub. It was overlaid in gold. It was the physical manifestation or reminder that the power and presence of God is among his people. So it says of, of Saul that the ark of God was ignored while he was king. You see, when Saul first became king, everything was going great. Life was good. Israel was a strong nation. The other nations feared him. And so what does Saul do? He got comfortable with that position. He got comfortable with that, that comfort, and he stopped consulting God. And what followed was one blunder after another as Israel, as a nation, ignored God's presence in their midst. And because everything seemed good and their lives were fine, they went on pursuing their own interests and their own pleasures. They forgot about God and they had no concern whatsoever of how the other nations or people that didn't know God, how they actually viewed God. And so now they finally find themselves in this, on this day face to face with an enemy that they had no power to fight. 
what was literally happened, because you see, we don't quite understand this. In our generation, in, on our shores, we've not known war. We don't know what it is to, come against, to have an enemy come against us whom, if we lose the battle, our life changes forever. We become enslaved to another system, another order. We don't understand that. But that was the reality in David's day. and was certainly the reality of other parts of the world. It's the reality today. If you're watching the news, Afghanistan, what has happened? An old order is completely gone. A new order has come, and it is completely demonic. Life has changed for people who for 20 years only heard about the rule of the Taliban, but now they're actually experiencing it firsthand. And it's much more horrific than any of them could ever imagine. The same threatens our own land today. The same reality that an old order was breaking down in, in, in Israel's day and a new order was threatening to take its place. And friends, I believe that we are living at that same moment today. God's order that we have known in Canada, that we have known by and large in the Western civilization, it has been breaking down all around us. But when there's a vacuum, it doesn't remain empty very long. There is a new order that is set to take its place. And if you don't realize how dark and terrifying that order is, you soon will, because it is coming. It is already coming. How did we get to this place? How did we get to the place where the church, by and large, has lost its voice? How did we get to the place where the church, by and large, is no longer relevant to our culture? We are a non-player in our culture. How do we get to a place where in Moncton proper, we have literally 150 churches, if more, on almost every street corner, and not only are we not impacting our community, we're not even impacting our culture. How do we get to that place? You see, the word culture is a word that shares its derivation with the French, the Latin. If you speak French at all, you know cult means worship right? What culture is, it's what we as a people collectively in a given city, for example, what we embrace as our values, what we hold as important, regardless of what we say, as the old analogy is, just open your checkbook, wherever your money is going, that's what you value. That's what you worship. And so culture has to do with what we have collectively decided as a city, as a province, as a nation, what we have decided is important to us, or what's not important, or what is good, or what is not good. That's what culture is. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, evil men who do what? Read it with me. Who push away the truth from them. The truth about God is known to them instinctively because God has put that knowledge in their heart. You see, here's the fact. The Bible says it's not that our culture doesn't have the truth. It doesn't, it's not that the, that the truth is not there for them to know. The fact is our culture by and large has said we don't value that truth. That's not our value system anymore. We don't want that truth imposed upon us. Verse 21. Yes, they knew about God, but they would not admit it or worship Him or even thank Him for His daily care. And after a while, they began to think of senseless ideas of what God was like and what He wanted them to do. Now, we see that rampant in our culture today. You can talk to people. They may not be believers. They may say, well, we're, just, we're spiritual or we believe there's a God. Well, the problem is, is that they live according to what they want to do, and they put their God stamp of approval upon it. So that's why you have many, many people who live as they want, do what they want, and say, well, it's because, you know, the God I know or I believe in, he does not expect this, that, and the other thing. And in fact, I find that almost as commonly in talking to believers sometimes, in, in, in counseling believers sometimes. Well, surely God does not expect. Well, my question is, what does he say in his word? If he says in his word, it's what he expects. 
And if you don't want to follow his word, you got to understand you don't know God. You're not walking with God. You're not a believer. You're just doing what you want, and you're hoping that God will be there when things get under control and you need some help. Paul goes on to say, the result was that their foolish minds became dark and confused. Listen to this. Claiming themselves to be wise without God, they became utter fools instead. That's what happens when a society pushes away the truth that they instinctively know that God has placed in their heart. But it's also what happens when the church of Jesus Christ has backslidden, has grown cold, lives like the world, has lost its voice. Again, people in our society are generally spiritual, but there's no clear revelation through the church of who God is. You go in the workplace. How many people in your workplace don't know Jesus Christ? And I wonder, do they have a clear revelation, whether they agree or not, but because you're there, do they have a clear revelation of what God is like? Because you're there. You see, the reason for a lot of the confusion and the apathy in our culture and a lot of the sin that we see is because they don't see any other option. So they have no choice but to come up with foolish beliefs that basically suit their own lifestyle and their own choices. And then what people do from there is they look for acceptance of their brokenness, of their sin, of their perversion by promoting it, by fighting for their rights until it becomes mainstream and approved. You see, so many of the dysfunctional lifestyles we see in our culture today that are even growing in, in variation. It's not that people want acceptance. If you're a Canadian, you are accepted under our Constitution. The problem is people want approval. Big difference, you see? That's why when we're not living for God as Christians, what do we do? We tend to get away from people who we know, even if they say nothing, we just know that they don't approve of how we're living or what we're doing, and we kind of gravitate toward others who might be in the same situation, kind of live the same compromised, lukewarm Christianity, because we're comfortable there. We're not just looking for acceptance, we're looking for approval. Our culture is the same. Somebody observed this, I don't know if I picked it up on Facebook, but I jotted it down. It said this, first, we overlook evil. Then we permit evil. Then we legalize evil. Then we celebrate evil. Now listen to this. And then we persecute those who still call it evil. That's where we are today. But I really believe before we're too quick to condemn our culture that we need to point out that these behaviors not only historically are the final stages of society before it collapses, but these behaviors are also an indication of a weak and carnal church. You can't blame the blind for bumping into things when there's nobody around saying, this is the way. When there's nobody around saying, follow me as I follow Christ, and you'll know him too. You see, we have a, a way of acting like we're disgusted by the perversion of our culture. But how many be honest enough to say and to raise your hand and say, you know what? Sometimes I'm entertained by those same perversions. You say, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? It's called vicarious enjoyment of sin. We don't do it ourselves, at least not in the open, but we amuse ourselves by finding entertainment where other people are doing it instead. I believe that we are living in a day when Goliath has risen again. The powers of darkness have been marshaled against our culture, against our nation, against the church for a long time. But there's a voice that's starting to rise up. And if you haven't noticed, 
that voice, that darkness, that perversion, probably this year more so than ever, is more blatant, more, what is the word I'm looking for, brazen than ever before. A lot of the works of darkness used to be kind of hidden, used to be kind of subtle, you know, kind of thrown it out there, testing the waters. Now it's just full out. And the giant is saying, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, I'm taking your culture. What are you going to do about it? I'm, I'm taking your kids out from under you. What are you going to do about it? There's this brazenness in the powers of darkness today. They're looking at us and they're saying to the church, I dare you to fight us back. In fact, church, not only do I dare you to fight us back, we're going to beat you. And after we defeat you, we are going to rid your city. We're going to rid your culture of your control. We're going to rid them of the influence of your God. And not only will he defeat you, but you will serve us. That's the spirit of our culture today. The question is, do we as the people of God have the courage to look at ourselves and admit that we don't have it all together? Do we have the courage to admit that for many of us that the faith that we profess to have, the things that we profess to believe in, really aren't working? That the Christianity, the lifestyle, what we're comfortable with, really isn't working? Are we courageous enough, honest enough to admit that really we don't care whether or not the name of the Lord is, is defied in our culture? We're not concerned about the reputation of the Lord. All we're concerned about is keep me comfortable, keep the checks coming. We'll just do whatever you tell us. We'll sit down. We'll be nice, little Christians. We don't have to worry about the freedom of others. We don't have to worry about the things that are being taken out from under us as long as we're taken care of. Are we honest enough to admit that? Or will we be people who on many fronts will fight for truth and fight for freedom? I believe it's time to get back to where the power of God really is. And that means that we either rise up as the people of God and we return to the prayer meeting. We return to the Word of God being a regular part of our life that we feast on, that we allow to shape us and transform us and challenge us out of our comfort zone. Because if we don't, my friends, I promise you, we will become slaves to this culture. We will lose, we will lose the freedoms that we know today. They will be lost. In fact, the message that I share from Sunday to Sunday, the message that you share, I'm sure, in the marketplace when you talk to people about the Lord, uh, that comes from a heart of love, that comes from the desire to see people being set free and their lives changed, already it's considered hate speech. But the day is coming soon, I promise you, if things don't change, where you will be arrested and imprisoned for simply loving people and want to be set free from the sin. Mark my words, it's going to happen. The only solution to this class of two cultures is for God to have a people who are fearless. And they're fearless because they've encountered God in the secret places. They're fearless because they had won battles against the enemy when nobody was watching. And they know who their God is. They know what God can do. They know the power of an obedient life, of a pure life. They know who they are in the Lord. They understand it's going to cost somebody something to stand up. David said to Saul in verse 32, he said, King, don't worry about this Philistine. I will fight him. You see, David understood Saul had a problem. The problem for Saul was that he had the armies, he had the numbers, he had people who were trained in battle, but he didn't know God anymore. That was Saul's problem. Saul had no concern anymore for the reputation of God in the land. Why? Because Saul was comfortable. Saul had all he needed in the natural realm. 
He had his own plans. He had his own, you know, idea of what I'm going to do when I retire, and this plan and that plan completely had gotten away, forsaken his walk with God, didn't know God anymore. But the Bible says that David was confident because he'd already seen God work in his life. David was used to the miraculous. In fact, David tells the story when King Saul says, David, I appreciate the offer, but man, you can't go fight against this guy. I mean, he's been a warrior since he was your age, and you're just young. You don't have the experience he has. And he says, King, he says, listen to me. He said, I have God on my side, not just theoretically, not just for the people of Israel. I know God. God has worked in my life. God has done miracles in my life on a regular basis. He said, King, I'm out in the back tending my father's sheep. There's nobody out there. They're just me. Between the wild animals and the sheep, it's just me. And he said, a bear comes along and tries to take one of the animals, or a lion comes and, and grabs one of the sheep and runs off. I go after that lion, and I tear that, that animal, rescue that animal from his jaws, and if it won't give it up with my own bare hands, when the Spirit of God comes upon me, I kill it. He says, you think for a moment after with my own bare hands, by the power of God, fighting a bear. This is the bear, people. This isn't just a nice little cuddly black bear that you meet at, you know, at the park. This is the big bear, okay, out in the wild. These are lions. You ever seen lions, right? These are lions. This is not fairy tale stuff. David said, with my own bare hands, when the Spirit of God came upon me, I killed them. Do you think a man has any concern for me? This giant? You see, David won those battles in the secret places. And I want to encourage us this morning, as I, as I challenged our first crowd, I want to encourage you this morning, friends, to get real. I want to encourage you to stop pretending that you are free when you know you're not. Stop living on the outside. Stop singing the song. Stop going through the motions when you know there's strongholds in your life. When you know there's sin. When you know there's apathy. When you know there's prayerlessness. When you know you, you've never read the word of God in months. When you know that you are weak. Stop playing around. Don't play games. Get in that secret place of prayer where you get hold of God. And when you get hold of God, you can say to the devil, Devil, you are not having my mind. You are not having my heart. You're not having my family. The Spirit of God lives within me, and in the name of Jesus, I take authority over you. And not just authority in my life, I'm going after the people that you have bound. I'm going into the enemy's camp, and I'm going to wreak havoc because I carry the presence of God with me. You come against me in the name of Hollywood. You come against me in the name of social media. You come against me in the, in the name of lying media that's sowing fear and division. I come against you in the name of the living God, in the spirit of truth, and this is what God says it's going to be like. This is how it's going to be. I could go off on 10 different tangents this morning. Don't want, don't want to get into it. Don't want to get into it. But listen, my friends, there's a whole lot of issues around going on today. And you can believe what you want. You can do what you want. But we're to be people of truth. And we've got to stop cowering and stop bowing down and stop falling for the lies of the enemy that's doing nothing but dividing. Dividing our cities, dividing our communities, dividing even the people of God against each other. We've got to be obedient to what the Lord is saying to us, speak in truth. We've got to be, people, be the people to understand, listen, we can't just lay down and go to sleep on multiple issues just because we get check in the mail, just because our life is still comfortable. There's lives around us falling apart. There needs to be a voice in the city that says, stop the madness. Stop the madness. We are people of truth. Anyways, read into that what you want. Saul offered David his own army armor rather. Essentially, the armor he offered him was the same armor that Goliath had. Obviously not the same size, the same weight, but basically the same things. 
And it reminds me how the church has relied so often on the methods of our culture to attract the crowds. And friends, for the decades, it's worked. Some churches have grown because they've been very clever, very flashy, doing a lot of things that draw people. But we're living in a day today where that armor is not going to win this battle. And you've got to understand something, friends. We are fighting an enemy who is not going to be appeased. No, they don't care how nice you are. I'm talking about spiritual enemy. He doesn't care, you know, if you just sit down and be quiet. I'm not just talking about the issues of the day. I'm talking about your spiritual authority. I'm talking about understanding who you are as people of God. I'm talking about getting in the enemy's face, looking for opportunities for God to show himself strong through you in the workplace, in the home, in the marketplace, wherever it may be. That's what I'm talking about. The Lord is looking for people that would get in his face and understand. If you don't take it to the enemy, he will take what you have. He, Jesus said, listen, he's come for one reason, to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. There's no bargaining. There's no bargaining. You either defeat him or he defeats you. And the only way you'll defeat him is in confidence in God. That's all the, the only thing that's going to make a difference. The Bible says in verse 40, David picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into the shepherd's bag. Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and sling, David started across the valley to fight the Philistines. I love this story. Like, the entire army of Israel are terrified on the hill. Nobody wants to go. David's saying, man, okay, i got to get at him. i got to get at him. What do I need? I need some stones. Bang, bang. Get some stuff. Let's, let's, let's go. Like there's no hesitation whatsoever on David's part. And I believe God's looking for that same spirit in his people today. David chooses five smooth stones, five stones that have probably been in that river for years, the river water washing over them, make them you know, uh, smooth again, the hand of God just kind of shaping them. David looks and says, man, there they are, one, two, three, four, five, puts them into his bag. Friends, we need to understand there are weapons that have been shaped by the hand of God that are available to the church, and they have never changed. There's no new idea out there. There's no some newfangled way of doing things. It's the same as it's always been. He's given us the weapon of prayer, of people who know their God, who understand the weapon that prayer is. He's given us the weapon of a holy life. He's given us the weapon of knowing the Word of God and actually believing what the Word of God says and coming against the enemy with that sword. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, we are human but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Jesus Christ. Friends, God is not looking for charismatic personalities. Never has, never will. God is simply looking for people who aren't playing games. He's just looking for people who want a living faith. He's just looking for people to say, you know, Lord, I believe in you, and, and you know, I know I'm going to heaven, and, and I know obeying you is a good life, but Lord, I want to start doing some of the things you actually say in your word that those who believe in you can do. And that's why we, we, we have someone like Deborah, or we have someone like Scott, who's walked with the Lord for many years, but they say, you know what, it's not just about me. There's people out there who need to experience the power and presence of God, and I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to be stretched, willing to do some things I haven't done before because I want to do more because I know the Lord wants to do more. Verse 45, David replied to the Philistine, 
You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel. What's he saying? The God of Israel. Israel's the nation where the miraculous happens. It's our God. And I will kill you and cut off your head, which is kind of a bold statement because David didn't have a sword. I mean, it's going to take a long time with a smooth rock to cut a guy's head off. I mean, he had four of them, but they're probably not going to work. David, you see, before David even fights, he knows who God is. Like, there's no contest. There's no doubt. It's like, let me at him. The, the battle's already over. Why? Because it's not me. God's fighting this battle. God knows who his people are. He knows who I am. God's going to win this. When we need to be a people who get back to stop. You know, don't take your cues from the news, from all the nonsense going on in the world today. All you need to know is, who is my God? And what does God want to do? Turn the news off and say, Lord, what are you doing today? What are you calling us to? What is your plan for our city, for our nation? That's all I need to know. The rest is just noise. It's just noise. I just need to hear your voice, Lord, what you're saying, and that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm getting involved in. He says, the Lord rescues his people, not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, he says to the Philistine, and he will give you to us. Hear me clearly on this, friends. We don't come against the spirit of this culture with the same spirit. We don't fight the spirit of this culture with arguments and hostility and political power. We come in the power of our consecration to God. We come in the power of a holy life. We come in the power of our love for freedom. I've had people ask me, Pastor, how should I vote? In fact, I don't think it's an exaggeration. I probably get six or eight or ten YouTube videos sent to me every single day. Do you honestly think I watch them? <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody, but do you honestly think I've got ten hours a day to watch this stuff? I mean, I'll take a peek at some things once in a while, but not only do I have time, my mind just can't handle all the thoughts out there. I just want to hear God's thoughts. Lord, I don't mind having some truth and some facts and govern yourself accordingly, find some voices you can trust. But in the midst of all that, Lord, just what are you doing? What are you saying? I can't control any of this stuff. Anyways, please don't be offended. I watch yours. I just don't watch the others. <laughs> but you might say, Pastor, well, you know, how do I vote? Can I give you a very clear, very simple instruction? Vote for freedom. That's all. You've got to consult the Lord. But just vote for freedom for our nation while you have the opportunity. And remember this, we are never fighting against people, ever. We are fighting for people. We are fighting for this generation. And those who oppose God are just pawns in the hands of demonic powers that they don't understand. And we're not going to win this battle in the Supreme Court. We're not going to win it by electing the right political party. Because the right political party, what they can do, and I appreciate it, they can slow down the decline of our nation, and that is valid. Nothing wrong with that. Pray for who you need to vote for. But friends, political powers cannot change human hearts. That's the real need in our culture. Hearts need to change. People need to have truth. They need to see how God intended life to be lived, and that fire begins to spread, and that's what changes a city and a province and a nation, is people coming back to God. We're never going to win these battles in those other arenas. It's just by going into the prayer closet, laying hold of God, and asking God to do what only God can do. That's the only hope of our nation, friends. You know the scripture very well. God says, if my people, who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves, what does that mean? If they will finally realize life doesn't work without me, if they will finally realize that the system, the culture that you're living and trying to find everything in doesn't work, 
if they'll humble themselves and return to me and seek my face and turn. This is interesting. If my people will turn from their wicked ways. He doesn't bash the culture. How many Christians do we sit down and just tisk tisk all the time how bad our culture is? God says that's not the problem. The problem is the culture's in you. If I can get the culture out of you, then I can save the culture from itself. But it's in you. He said, I will forgive their sin. And then after I've forgiven their sin, what's the significance? Because when we're forgiven, when we're cleansed, when we repent, the glory of the Lord begins to manifest in the people of God, and that fire begins to spread, and I will heal your land. But it has to begin in the people of God. Verse 49. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, David hurled it uh, with his sling, and it hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine, or Philistine, with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. David stripped away everything but his trust in God. And friends, as the people of God, we've got to come to the place where we strip away everything that is weighing us down. We strip away anything that is causing us to become powerless because we don't trust in the Lord alone. God once said to the prophet Ezekiel, he said, Ezekiel, I don't want to judge this nation for their sin. But he said, I can't find anyone who will take a stand. Now think about that. There were a lot of professing believers in Israel. People went to synagogue every single day, went there to worship God. What was the problem? Among all the people who professed to believe in God, there wasn't anyone who actually believed that God could turn things around. You see, it's one thing to believe there's a God. Oh, I believe there's a God. I'm going to go to heaven one day. But it's different to say, I believe in God, and I believe heaven can be on earth today. Whole world of difference. That was the kind of person David was. God said, there's nobody who believes I can actually turn this thing around. He says, the time has come to take a stand. I'm going to invite the musicians back. 2,000 years ago, the Bible tells in the book of Acts that there was a small band of believers living in a godless Roman empire, living in fear for their lives. Jesus, of course, was their leader, and he'd been executed, and now they were guilty by association. And not only were their heads on a, on a plowder, you might say, but they were hated by their culture. 120 of them went into the prayer room back into the presence of God. Now understand me, when they met in that upper room, they had no plan. They had no ideas. They were desperately dependent on God because they knew that the forces that were gathered outside were much stronger than they were. But when they came out of that prayer meeting, they were filled with the Spirit of God. They were absolutely convinced of God's provision, so much so they gave away what they had, realizing God loves me so much, he'll take care of me, I'm going to help somebody else. Convinced of God's provision, convinced of God's power to penetrate the darkness around them. And that culture that had no tolerance for Christ, that culture that actually hated his followers, here they are now standing face to face with people who are filled with God. And what do they say? What do we have to do to be saved? What do we have to do? And that's my prayer. Lord, I'm tired of focusing on a culture that increasingly hates us. I'm tired of focusing on a culture that increasingly is getting dark. Why? Because all I'm doing is listening to Goliath. You're finished. You're history. We're going to be rid of you. We are going to control the culture. 
And God is looking for a man. God is looking for a woman. God is looking for a church who will stand up and say, who in heaven's name do you think you are? I know my God. I know what he's able to do. I've seen him work the miraculous in my life. Who are you? This is what God says. We're going back into the prayer room. We're getting filled with his life, his power, his truth. We're, we're washing out all the lies and all the nonsense. And we're coming back to you and saying, this is what is going to happen. And when we're done with you, speaking of the powers of darkness, when we're done with you, the glory of the Lord is going to fill this land. And it's not going to just be people sitting in pews on a Sunday worshiping God. The streets and the fields and the workplaces are going to be filled with people who are worshiping the living God because the church has been awakened and revival has come to the city. That is the heart of God, I believe. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.